This week, we've been looking at how research from China, Italy, and now the U.S. suggests doctors and nurses are likelier than other professionals to experience depression, anxiety, and PTSD related to the pandemic. Tuesday, we met Dr. Mara Windsor, a burned-out and anxious ER doc working near Phoenix. Because I'm a physician, I'm not going to go see a psychiatrist and get a diagnosis. <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, a lot of us, unfortunately, don't reach out for help and care. Today, from the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, in part two of our series, what makes it hard for doctors to reach out for help and the risks that carries for them and their patients? I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Dr. Mona Masood saw a crisis brewing alongside the coronavirus. I started seeing a lot of posts come up about how people were not coping so well. Just by scrolling through Facebook, Mona could see doctors overwhelmed by the unprecedented suffering they were watching up close. People were saying things like, I know I have to go in, but I want to leave and I want to escape and I want to forget about everything. In mid-March, on a whim, the Philadelphia area psychiatrist posted a message to a COVID physician group. Calling all psychiatrists, who's with me in putting together a hotline for uh, physician colleagues navigating the COVID-19 crisis. She had no idea what to expect. But within hours, dozens of licensed psychiatrists volunteered to help. One week later, Mona launched the Physician Support Line, a grassroots organization offering free support to doctors in crisis. Today, 700 volunteer psychiatrists field 8,000 minutes of calls from physicians each month. That's four and a half hours of calls every day. An outlet, says Mona, to purge the day's stress. Someone who was seeing 20 deaths a day, somebody who is going through marriage problems, someone who has not slept in a week because they keep thinking, well, I didn't get it today, but I could very well get it tomorrow. Mona credits the popularity of the hotline to its confidentiality. No names, no organizations, just peer-to-peer conversations. She says that anonymity is critical. There is something inherent in, in the culture of medicine that I think prevents physicians from seeking help. There is always this idea, whether it is founded or not, that there is a repercussion for using physician wellness tools especially if there's a way to trace that you use those tools. Mona believes the crisis line has legitimately helped doctors over the last several months. But she knows she's just chipping away at the surface of a systemic problem. Too few doctors are seeking out mental health care. It's a problem exacerbated but not created by the pandemic. We know, even before COVID began, lots of docs were in a difficult spot. Almost half of all physicians reported feeling burnt out, unhappy with their jobs. To be clear, burnt out is not an official disease like depression or anxiety. It's a syndrome driven by stress at work. Symptoms include being cold toward patients, struggling to find meaning in work, and feeling emotionally exhausted. One important point, doctors don't begin their careers feeling this way. When people start medical school, they have better mental health than other U.S. college graduates, they have less depression, less burnout. Once they're in the house of medicine and we're teaching them to doctor, some of them break. 
Lottie Derby is a physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and leading expert on the issue. Over the last 20 years, researchers like Lottie have learned about the toll that burnout takes on clinicians and the care that they provide. You know, if you have burnout, you're more likely to have alcohol and substance abuse problems, relationship difficulties, thoughts of suicide, and twice as likely to commit a major medical error. One final consequence to note, researchers have also found that burnout leads to attrition, and when docs leave their jobs, it costs their employers a bunch to replace them. $4.6 billion a year, Lottie estimates. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The pandemic has pushed physician mental health more into the spotlight than ever before. There is a heartbreaking loss in the front lines of this fight. Dr. Lorna Breen, a frontline worker at New York Presbyterian Allen Hospital. Dr. Lorna Breen took her own life. While the fixes for burnout require structural changes, like making clunky electronic health records easier to use, reducing paperwork, and increasing time spent with patients, most experts agree that once doctors are in distress, many aren't getting the help that they need. University of Michigan's Dr. Katherine Gold wanted to know why, so she asked 2,100 female physicians for a survey she published back in 2016. The number one answer had to do with stigma. Fear that doctors would not be seen as competent in their jobs. Fear of having to ever report to the state board or the hospital credentialing systems. Another prominent study confirmed this trend in both male and female physicians. 40% said they would avoid seeking care for a mental health issue because they fear professional blowback. Through her research, Catherine heard horror story after horror story. People talked about being pulled out of surgery randomly for drug testing because they'd reported depression. People have had episodes where they're restricted from practice, where they're forced into drug treatment, again, even without any kind of history of drug issues. People have talked about coercion in which they're told, well, unless you submit to our psychiatric analysis and go through this long treatment program, which maybe is thirty dollars or $40,000, you can't get your license back. There's no public record of how often state medical boards or hospitals penalize physicians for coping with a mental health condition, but anecdotes like the ones Catherine heard through her survey can have a chilling effect on physicians and contribute to the stigma. Have you ever in your lifetime been diagnosed with any of these mental health problems? Depression, anxiety, pyromania, seasonal affective disorder, and have you been treated? 
This is tricky territory. On the one hand, state medical boards exist to protect patients, to recertify physicians, field complaints from patients or peers, investigate problems, and discipline doctors who step out of line. And that's important because if you have a physician who's impaired, for example, if you have a physician who's drinking every day and comes in to do a surgery, that's not going to be a safe physician to practice. But Catherine says the questions like, are you still getting treatment for depression, implies that a doctor with depression is somehow unfit. We have no evidence that having a diagnosis of a mental health problem indicates that you're not safe to provide clinical care for patients. But I think the state boards continue to kind of hover over everybody as a threat. Even before the pandemic, reforms to encourage doctors to seek mental health were underway. In 2018, the organization that represents state medical boards recommended either removing mental health questions altogether or at least focusing on a current impairment that may affect a doctor's ability to practice. In response, more than three dozen professional medical and advocacy groups, including the American College of Emergency Physicians and the American Medical Association, have signed on. That effort has led several state boards, including Ohio and North Carolina, to revise questions. And now, thanks to COVID, Congress has even introduced two bills to expand access to provider mental health. Catherine calls all of this a modest but important start and credits a new generation of doctors for helping change the tide. It feels different to me when I go and talk to folks now compared to when I went and talked to folks 10 years ago in terms of the questions I get, in terms of the willingness of the audience to talk about their own struggles. And I think we just need to continue to push physicians to be vulnerable with their peers and to share what's going on. Dr. Mona Masood of the Physician Support Line agrees that while it's important to keep pushing for policies and programs to help prevent these issues, they cannot be avoided altogether. Doctors don't want to be seen as heroes. We want to be seen as human. We want to be allowed to have intense emotion, to not have all the answers, to be vulnerable. Caring for people at their sickest and most scared will never be easy, but admitting that and coping with its consequences should be easier than it is. I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. We're kicking off a special two-week series on health care and the presidential election. With the help of experts, we'll first dig into President Trump's health policy record. All in all, the Trump administration has chipped away at the edges of the ACA. You know, they've poked a hole here, knocked off a corner there. The White House has floated some extremely aggressive ideas. Then we'll turn our eyes to Vice President Biden's proposals. We're not talking about a major transformation or a move to a new health care system. Regaining the public confidence is going to be Vice President Biden's biggest challenge. Healthcare and the 2020 election, next time on Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Tradeoffs, wait till you see our newsletter, full of links to new research and staff recs. Click on the big orange button at the top of our webpage, tradeoffs.org, to sign up. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter at TradeoffsPod and leave us a rating on Apple Podcast. It really helps to find us, or better still, tell someone about the podcast. 
The Tradeoffs team is producers Vicki Stern and Ryan Levy, intern Sabrina Ems, communications and marketing manager Emily Patterson, researcher Jamie Song, partnerships lead Jessica Silverman, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman, with additional music this episode from CC Mixter and Blue Dot Sessions. Additional thanks to Mashid Abir, Rick Summers, Stephen Arnoff, Cinda Rushton, Neil Busis, Brian Bowman, Lisa Rosenstein, Aaron Connors, Krista Mutchler, Thomas Schwenk, Rashawn Lane, Bapu Jenna, and Mara Windsor. Tradeoffs is supported in part by the California Healthcare Foundation, Arnold Ventures, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.